churches and with the leaders for three days. And that's uh, led by our friends uh, Jeremy and Ann Simpkins, who are based out of Manchester, who have been here many times. And we were able to gather with different leaders from across Canada, the UK, and Zambia for three days of friendship. So we spent time sharing our stories. We spent time after each one of us shared our stories to be able to pray together. And that was the bulk of the time. So people asked me, wow, you must have been... I said, well, it was great to be able to hear people's stories. So we took hours just to be able to share stories because we believe in relationship. We believe in friendship. And that takes time. There's no shortcuts to that. And then we're able to, uh, after three days, we spent about an hour um, looking at how can we work together because we kind of ran out of time in that part to be able to discuss how we can work together. And so we were able to talk with uh, Reese Scott, who helps uh, lead the church in Vancouver that we've helped plant uh, many years ago, and they're doing well. We had Stephen and Cindy Best, who help lead our Great Lakes region and our family of churches in Ontario down into Michigan. So we were able to be with them. And then we were able to be with... Uh, Jeremy and others from England, and then Joseph and Lillian Buila from Zambia, who Gary and Barb were just with, and Gary's going to help uh, preach into that this morning, and this great partnership, and how God's opened the doors for us as a family of churches into these different countries and to the nations, and that's where we've always had in our hearts, so if you remember those of us who have been here sort of from the beginning, all these years, we were like, we know where to go to the nations, we know we have a heart because Jesus said to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, make disciples. And so in our heart, we're like, how can we here in Fredericton ever go? And we've been able to see one or twos go out to different things. But over the years, God has grown the family for us to have different avenues to be able to serve, to be able to partner together, to pray together, to resource and finances and with people. And we're just early days of beginning that. And so what a great privilege to be able to represent our local church, and everyone there sends their greetings and their thanks for our prayers, our support in many different areas, and we're going to see continually how God's going to open up doors for us to be able to serve together. And even this morning, Kenyonga from our church, his, him and his wife Pamela, are in Rwanda this morning. They are serving in churches there, and so we've been praying for them, for Gaston Bahati, for uh, family. So great that Kenyonga's been there all summer in Burundi and now in Rwanda. And it's my privilege to have my sister and brother-in-law and niece and nephew here this morning, Laurelie and Daryl and Bronwyn and Caleb, who are serving in Rwanda with Canadian Baptist Ministries. So they're home right now, so we want to welcome them as well. So I just find it amazing that on one of the Sundays that we get to talk more about global as we serve here local and as we're going to be doing Alpha and all kinds of different things here this fall to reach Fredericton and area, we also want to have a vision of being a global people as well, that God loves the whole world and he wants to be able to use us in that. So as Gary comes, I want to pray into that and just thrilled that we have so many different connections and partnerships and friendships as we partner together. So let me just pray. And Gary, why don't you come and get ready um, to serve us? We're we'll preaching in and sharing this morning. And Father, not only do I pray for Gary this morning, you just speak through him, Lord. I pray for all of us, God, that you would open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, that Jesus, you would open our hearts, that we uh, can get so focused sometimes on our own needs and our own issues, Lord, we can forget that there's a hurting world that we, that you want to use through us, God, to make a difference in extending the kingdom and building our church. And so I pray you'd speak through Gary now, open our hearts, Lord, may we hear what you want to say to us this morning so that we can be a people that not only hears but does as well. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Gary. I think we're good. Here we go. As Joe said, um, Barb and I just a couple of weeks ago returned from our time in Zambia and Tanzania, and we had an amazing time together. And so, just a couple things. Um, this morning, I'm not showing any pictures. I'm not going to talk specifically about all the things that we were a part of while we were there, for basically for one good reason, actually two. I really felt, um, while we were in Zambia, knowing that I was going to be speaking uh, upon return, that the Lord put a word on my heart to preach instead of giving you an account. If you want the account, you can go to our website and go to our blog, which I think a lot of you have visited, and you'll get the account of the things that we were a part of there, and that'll give you a pretty good picture of things. But... 
in talking about Zambia and talking about Tanzania, there is one common theme that emerged through the whole time we were there. And so while we were, uh, while we were working together uh, in those nations, um, Jeremy, I think, preached probably no fewer than 10 times. Uh, I preached, I think, no fewer than five or six times. But the entire time that we were there, in the various contexts that we were there, um, there was a tremendous um, showing of the Holy Spirit's power in various ways, but particularly in the area of encouragement through difficulties. And I want to tell you that um, we are no strangers to difficulties and challenges. The challenges and difficulties that are faced in those nations are different than ours, but nevertheless, we all share one common thing, and that is, is that Jesus said, don't be surprised when difficulties come your way. And the one common theme that emerged in our entire uh, time in those nations was the fact that God is sovereign. And so in all of the challenges and oppositions and difficulties, discouragements, and so on that we face, God is sovereign in them. In fact, He allows them to happen. And on top of that, if God was just sovereign and that was it, that would be really tough. But also in that, God is good. And God is very, very good. He's, he's given us the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and encourages us in the difficulties. In fact, and I would encourage you, if you go back to April of 2014, I would encourage you strongly to go back in, that, in, the, in our message catalog database on our website and find Jeremy's message on the fruitful vine. And essentially, that message was something that was reiterated over and over again in different ways while we were away, in that a vine, when it's growing, it has to find a wall to climb on. And when that, uh, if, if a vine just lays on the ground, it's not going to bear fruit. It, in fact, any fruit that is born on that vine is going to rot in the ground. So the vine always has to find things to attach to. And those things may look like oppositions. They may look like difficulties. But essentially, the vine goes over the wall, not through it. And so when we are praying for and asking for God to remove the oppositions, oftentimes we may be praying in a wrong way. We may be praying the wrong thing. And what God wants to do is He wants to shape us. He wants to help us bear fruit in spite of the difficulties and oppositions that we face. And it says in Numbers that Joshua is a fruitful vine. And Jesus, of course, prophetically, that's Jesus. Jesus is a fruitful vine. In fact, He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And that you can do nothing apart from Me. And so Jesus calls us to be in Him. He calls us to be receiving from Him continually so that when we do face opposition, when we do face the wall, we still bear fruit. And so God is sovereign and God is good. And in the opposition and in the challenges that we face, we still bear fruit. God has called us to bear fruit in spite of all those things. I could tell you story after story of the wonderful people that we encountered in our journeys in, the past, in this past six or seven weeks of challenges and difficulties and so on and so forth, but the fact that they get hold of, the, thing, the one thing that our friends in Zambia and Tanzania have gotten a hold of is they say, you know what, we face those challenges and difficulties, but God but God sustains us, but God takes us through, but God has called us to bear fruit, and they persevere. And our message, it was very humbling, because our message while we were there was one really of working through and persevering through challenges. How humbling is it to go into a nation where, especially, for example, in Kitway, where we were, Joseph Mwila and his lovely wife Lillian, they have a lovely church there called Dayspring Church. And that church has planted about 16 churches out of itself. They have two orphanages. And 
out of those 16 churches, there are now another 15 or 16 churches that have come in under Joseph's leadership. And so he's an emerging apostolic figure in Africa, in Zambia. And how humbling is it to go into that environment where the average age in their nation is 17? The average age in Canada, if you want to know, is 42 or so. You say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm older than 42. Yeah, you're older than 42 because you take the entire population and divide by the numbers, you get the average age. Well, the average age in Zambia is 17. They call Zambia the nation of children because the nation has been ravaged by the AIDS epidemic. And so it's faded off the papers here. It's faded out of our view in the West because we have other things that gain prominence, right? And so in another three or four months, in fact, you probably would have noticed in the last month or two, ISIS has kind of slipped off the radar a little bit, hasn't it? So now the attention is focused on other things like the American election, and I don't even want to go there, but <laughs> kind of like having a flashback. It's like, wait now, Clinton and Bush? I thought that was, no, never mind. But we choose our headlines according to if it bleeds, it leads, and if it's fantastic, you know, in some strange way, we're going to put it on the front page. But that nation is still suffering from a very present AIDS epidemic. And when we go into the compounds where the orphanages are, and you see literally thousands of children running around without parents, like, you can't even wrap your head around that. And yet, in the midst of it, here's Lillian Mwila, who has established and planted two orphanages as wings of the church, as ways of reaching into the community and gaining credibility. They have planted these orphanages and are not discouraged by all that they're not reaching, but are encouraged by the ones that they are. And so is and I, Joe Marcucci's words, if you know who Joe Marcucci was, he uh, was leading a church one of our churches in New England years ago, and he came and preached the message. I still remember the message, but the one thing that I do, one phrase out of that is, he says, in God, do the good you can do. And that's what they're doing. They're choosing to do that. And so in spite of all the challenges they face all around them, they're doing the good they can do in front of them. And so we go in, and it's like, we just can't comprehend the, the magnitude of the challenge that they're facing, and God puts on our heart the same message unbeknownst to us. So at four conferences that we did, so we did four conferences in three weeks, the same thing came true. The first conference, we realized Joseph Mwila spoke first, and he spoke about David being called as a leader, and then spending time in the sheep pen, and going through challenges and difficulties, and eventually his calling came through, and then I spoke on, I had a message on perseverance, and we didn't compare notes. And then Jeremy came in with a fruitful vine coming up against opposition. And so we realized quickly how God was sewing this thing together. And so very humbly, we presented these messages as we went around to the different places. And God powerfully came in his spirit, and he moved in a great way and wanted to encourage those there that in spite of the challenges, in spite of the difficulties, in spite of all those things, God's still on his throne, and God still is gracious, and he's still good. And folks, I want to tell you this morning that God is still gracious, and he's still good here in Fredericton. He is still at work here. And our challenges might be different, and they are. We have other challenges that we face they're not the same at all. But we still need the same message. The message isn't any different. I mean, when I think of Bahadi and Miri Musaka in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, who have been laboring intensely now for five years, planting a church in Dar es Salaam, a heaving city of 6.5 million people, and all manner of social ills going on, and here they are planting this church, faithful, faithful people, and the opposition and the challenges that they faced, they're different than ours. We haven't, we haven't been home invaded and basically betrayed by one of our church members where home invaders came into their home, 
lined them up on their knees, he and his wife and their two children, with machetes, threatening to kill them if they didn't give them all their money. And they lived through it. And they came through unscathed, and they came through without giving them any money. God is faithful. He's sovereign, and he's good. And in a short six months later, beautiful church that they've built, they've labored, beautiful thatched roof that you could see from all around that part of Dar es Salaam. And just last spring, he had a text message that came to him, Bahadi, the church is on fire. And he thought it was a joke. And then someone else texted him, someone else texted him, they rushed to their building, and the place was an inferno, and they lost their roof, a thatched roof that, by our standards, would cost tens and tens of thousands of dollars to replace, and their standards much less, but nevertheless, it might as well be a million dollars. But God is sovereign, and God is good. They weren't deterred. We did meetings in his church, and people came together, and they put tarps up, and it was kind of open air, but it kind of wasn't, and God, you know, it's like, our challenges are different here. Our challenges are different, but God is calling us to persevere nevertheless. And so this morning is part of a wrap-up of our series on spiritual warfare and on the things that we've preached through, most of the messages that I didn't even, I wasn't here for, going through Ephesians. This morning, I just felt while we were in Zambia, God put this in my heart, I want you to, I want you to, to bring out 2 Timothy chapter 1 on fanning into flame the gift of God in relation to all of this. And so uh, I'm going to, in a moment, have the guys put the scriptures on the overhead so we can read it. But I just want to give you the context of 2 Timothy, just briefly. It was written by the Apostle Paul to his representative Timothy. And so Timothy was now being sent out by Paul to do that which, uh, that which Paul had done. So now Timothy's in Ephesus, interesting. We just finished in Ephesians in talking about spiritual warfare. So all that context that you have just been taught over these past months is in the same context as this message this morning. Timothy's in Ephesians. He's a young apostolic emerging leader who's trying to establish a healthy church in in Ephesus, and he's running up against opposition. And so Paul, at a distance, is writing him these letters. In fact, 2 Timothy is his last letter before his death. It was written, you know, we think, uh, somewhere written between 64 and 67 AD, and it's thought that Paul was, was martyred somewhere around 68 AD. So it's in that range. So it was very close to his death. In fact, in 2 Timothy, Paul alludes to the fact that his time is up. And so he's writing this letter to encourage Timothy Timothy, you got to stay strong. Timothy, you got to find your strength in God. So 2 Timothy is a bold, clear call for perseverance in the gospel in spite of suffering and opposition. So folks, we experience suffering and opposition in our lives all the time. If you haven't, guess what? You will. If you have, you will again. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's the truth of it. But in that, there is still joy to be found. In that, there is still encouragement to be had. In that, God comes and he establishes his goodness in our heart. So let's read this scripture together. And I'm going to get the guys to put up 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And I'm going to focus mainly on verses 6 and 7. But just to, just to lay the foundation for it, we'll read those verses together. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from, the God, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul's writing this in a Roman prison. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, 
but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. I mean, just in that one verse, you could preach five messages. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So Paul here gives the ultimate answer that ties Ephesians 6 together to what we're talking about today. That we have to fan into flame the presence of God in our lives by His Spirit who inhabits us. And so we have, we have some responsibility in this. But before, before we get to that, just a couple of points that should help us understand that it's not by our own effort that we necessarily do that. It does take our involvement when we partner with God. But first off, we have to recognize a couple of things. And the first point of this, if you're, if you're taking notes, the first point is, is that the Holy Spirit, He's a gift to us. The Holy Spirit's a gift to us. He's a gift to me. I'm so thankful that God has gifted me with His presence. We have His presence in our lives, not by anything that we've done. There is nothing that you can do that can merit God's presence in your life. It's completely by grace. It's by grace that God's presence comes to us. It's not deserved. There's nothing that you can do that can cause you to think that you deserve His presence. There's only one thing that we truly deserve in this life. There's only one thing that we truly deserve. Does anybody know what that one thing is? It's death. That's what we deserve. We deserve death and judgment. That's what we deserve. That's what we deserve. And some would think that they can earn this. Some would say, well, you know what? If I can just be holier, if I can just put more effort into being holy, then I will merit his presence. His presence will come and infuse my life with power if I can just be holy. And so they take great lengths, they go to great lengths, and they try to be more holy, thinking that if, if, I, get, if I get more of me clean, then God can inhabit this, this vessel. And so it's getting things out in order to get God's presence. It doesn't work that way. It's not the way it works. It's a, the Holy Spirit, he's a gift to us. How holy was Peter before Pentecost? Was he a cleaned up vessel? I mean, he was schooled by a little girl at the fire. And was embarrassed. He cursed Jesus. He had, there was nothing in him that would merit what happened on the day of Pentecost. He wasn't trying to gain God's favor. In fact, it just wasn't in his vocabulary. He was a cowering, embarrassed, ashamed follower of Jesus. I never knew him. What about Paul himself? What did he do to merit God's presence? I mean, up to the day that he was struck by the power of God on the road to Damascus, Paul was on his way to persecute again. I mean, he witnessed, he approved of the stoning of Stephen. He was there and approved of it and was, yes, let's bring it on. I mean, there was no trying to merit God's favor by being holy. In fact, he was living by the law, righteous. And he goes on to say, all that was worth nothing. 
So he did nothing. So it's not about cleaning ourselves up first because Peter and Paul and all of the rest of those that we find in the scriptures received God's presence by unmerited favor and by grace. He's a gift to us. He's a gift to us. We're chosen by grace before the foundation of the world. There was nothing that you could have done. I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of theology. All I know is this. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us, and therefore, because he chose us before the foundation of the world, he knew my name. He knew Gary before the foundation of the world. He knew you. He knew Emma. He knew Tim. He knew all of us before the foundation of the world, chose us in him for the purpose of displaying his splendor and his glory to the earth. We don't earn it. I can't figure it out, folks. I just don't know, but I wasn't seeking Jesus when Jesus apprehended me. All I know is this. One day I was dead, the next day I was alive. Go figure. I wasn't seeking him. He sucker punched me with his grace. He did. He does the same with you. All of us have that story of being apprehended by his grace. And there's nothing we can do to merit it. I wasn't trying to earn it. In fact, I was trying, trying to do everything that would be anywhere near opposite to that. The night that I, the night that I received Jesus Christ into my life, I mean, I probably had drunk about no fewer than 10 beers, and I had smoked I don't know how much weed, but I was, I, and I did the weed part at work, and then I went out with friends afterwards and kept sucking back the beers and while they were telling me about Jesus. And then we ended up in a car or van by the river down by the Robbie Burns statue down there. And I said, hey, what you're telling me is registering with me. What do I have to do? And they said, uh, we never had anybody that, that, we never had anybody that wanted to become a Christian before. And I said, well, I don't know what to do. And, and they said, well, we don't know what to do either. And they were Christians. And I was like, I kind of had to lead myself to Jesus. I'm not joking. I said, well, do you think I should kneel? And they said, well, maybe that might be a good idea. So I kind of knelt down in this van and I said, so now what? And they said, well, um, and then he dug into his pocket, this friend of mine, and he pulled it out and he said, well, there's this sinner's prayer. I said, Give, bring it on. Let's, let's do it. I, you know, and so I prayed this prayer. All I know is this, that in an instant, my life changed. And I woke up the next day pinching myself. Is this real? And it was. It was totally real. And it's like, for the next two years, I had no discipleship, but yet my life was changing continually because the Holy Spirit was given to me. He poured himself out in my life, and all these changes started to happen. I, I didn't even try. I mean, sort of. But God was, I was just walking in the obedience that I knew, but I had no one to disciple me. I was a university student just kind of bumbling along, but the Holy Spirit, as you know, he taught me in those things. So the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is a gift. Paul says the gift, the gift of his presence. Point number two, the Holy Spirit affirms our identity. So Timothy's got an identity issue here. 2 Timothy 1.6a says, For this reason I remind you, in 2 Timothy 1.7a, for God gave us a spirit not of fear. So Paul is addressing Timothy, reminding him of who he is in Christ. And one commentator talks about the connection that takes place here in this verse with another verse, which I'm going to refer to in a moment. But Timothy needs reminding of where his strength is. He's faced with hardships and suffering. I mean, he's the guy in Ephesians, he, or in Ephesus, he's the guy there that's struggling through trying to establish a church, trying to grow leadership, trying to protect the church as a, in guiding, guarding, and governing the church. And he's, he's, he's tasked with this great 
commission of being an apostolic figure and leader trying to bring this church through, and he's struggling. He's hit a wall. And I can just imagine, he's like, Paul, we, how do we get rid of the wall? And Paul's saying, uh, I hate to tell you, we don't get rid of the wall. The wall's not going to go anywhere necessarily, but you can go over the wall. You're a fruitful vine, Timothy. He has a problem. He's got fear, insecurity, which, um, you know, it, it refers later in that section that we read. He's got a shame about the gospel. He's had a little bit of an ebb in his heart. He is an emerging apostolic figure, and he's struggling. What about us? What about you? What about me? God's presence is in our lives. If we're believers, His Spirit has inhabited us. Where are we? Are we ebbing? Are we struggling? Are we hitting that wall? Are we, you know, fearful? Are we experiencing those same types of things that Timothy is? So this commentator shows that these verses echo Paul's words in Romans 8, 15 and 16. So this is what it says. This is really great. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. So, it is powerful, isn't it? There's a great song that's out there right now. I don't know if you've heard it or not, but it's a new Bethel one. It's... uh, it's pretty cooking. We're no longer slaves to fear. I am a child of God. It's based in this verse. I'm not giving a ringing endorsement of all things Bethel. I'm just saying that's where it was. But Paul is reminding Timothy of where his identity needs to be. It's the Holy Spirit who changes our perspective and helps us understand and implicitly, tacitly within us confirms the fact that we are sons and daughters of the living God. I mean, it's the Spirit within us that cries out, Abba, Father. He affirms and confirms our sonship. And yes, ladies, you're sons of God. You're also daughters of God, but theologically speaking, you're sons of God because you've received the full inheritance of a son. He changes the way we view ourselves. And as a result, we have affirmation of his fatherhood. So Paul is saying, your dad is looking out for you. You need to understand that his presence in your life signifies the fact that he is your father. And he's not going to let you go. You're accepted. You're loved. You're approved. You're empowered by him, by his spirit. So it's not the opinion of those that are coming against you that counts. It's not those people that are attacking you verbally or maybe even physically. It's not their stuff that counts. It's the opinion of your dad that counts. And folks, it's the opinion of Jesus that counts in my life and in your life. That's whose opinion counts. So when we come up against it, you got to know Your dad is crazy about you. And who do we turn to? What do we default to? What are we defaulting to? Are we defaulting to the things that don't produce life? Or, you know, to try to get us out of whatever it is? Oh, I just need to get a new... I just... You know what? uh, Things are going really tough. I know know what i got to do. I... I got to get a new hobby. That's it. I got to get a new, I got to do that. Or maybe it's some other, maybe, you know what? I just need a vacation. A vacation will do it. And that I'm reminded years and years ago of a guy, he was a pastor in St. John. His name was Steve Witt. I'm reminded of the fact he was just having a tremendously difficult time. And church was going very difficult. There was so many things going on. And he was just feeling dry, beat up, and like, probably like Timothy, just like, I need to find respite. And so he, he went on vacation. He went on vacation with his family down from where he's from in the United States. And that, he came back, and he was worse off than when he left. And he, then he said, well, maybe if I go to a beach somewhere. And so 
And if you knew Steve Witt, it'd be very difficult for him to sit on a beach for any length of time, let alone a week. He went for a week, came back worse. In a moment, in a meeting in Toronto, in a moment, all that vanished because he came into contact with an experience of God is his father that ruined him forever. I think you were there. I have to do this. Let's welcome our friends John and Lydia Smith. And they went to Toronto to a conference, and John was with Steve Witt. All of them completely ruined in God, because God, in a good way, God apprehended them, confirmed his fatherhood in their life, confirmed their sonship, affirmed who they were, and in a moment, the exhaustion that he was feeling was gone, and it propelled him forward as he understood his position as a son of God. The Holy Spirit empowered him. The Holy Spirit empowered my friend John. He went in wearing one pair of shoes, and it was like Joe reminded him this morning, and I'm going to say it because it's so cool. John wore this, he was wearing a pair of shoes going to the meeting, and God so impacted him, John just took his shoes off. He says, I'm not walking in no shoes anymore and threw the shoes away. In January of 1990. Yeah, in January. January 1994. God changes our situations. He lets us know whose we are. He affirms his fatherhood. And Paul today in this scripture is he's reminding Timothy, remember whose you are. I want to remind you of whose you are. We have affirmation in the face of difficulty and hardships. It's his opinion that counts. We're in Christ. We're hidden in him. You're hidden in him. And all of the blessings, all of the, all of the blessings that are in Jesus are ours. We're hidden in Him. It's amazing. We're in Christ. Shall anything separate us? Shall, Timothy, anything separate you from the love of Christ? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, you, from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Father's crazy about you. It was already alluded to it. I had it in my notes. He sings over you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Father sings over you. Like, chew on that one for a while. Chew on that one for a while. He sings over you. He is pleased with you. He takes pleasure in you. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like, I can't even wrap my head around that, that Jesus loves me so much that he prays for me. That, if that doesn't get your heart rate going, he prays for you. He prays for you by name. Keith, he prays for you. Dave, he prays for you. Lydia, he prays for you. Joe, he prays for you. Bronwyn, he prays for you. Get your head wrapped around that. He loves us. It's great that we can love him, but here's the miracle of it. He loved us first. He loved me first. I couldn't do that. There was nothing in me. I was dead, it says in the scriptures, in my sin and trespass. And he brought me to life. He gives me his life. And he breathes life on me. And that dispels fear. And that dispels my shame of the gospel. That dispels all those things. By the power of his spirit, that's what he does. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy. He's saying, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. 
So I said there's two points that we need to go through first before we get to our part. Because hopefully you can see that so far, none of this is our doing. But we have some responsibilities, folks. We have some responsibilities. Because we have to be living in the present power of the Spirit, not in yesterday's news. So we do have a role to play. Oh, darn it, we got a role to play. What is it? <laughs> Just remember, Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. I won't leave you alone. I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to teach you everything you need to know. He'll give you all that you need. So we're to stir up the gift of God in us. Stir up the spirit. We're to fan into flame. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this. Get this. This is, this is one of those little verses that I just came across on Friday once again, but it kind of like doinked me between the eyes Again, it's like you read it for the first time. It's one of those. It's like, it says this. And it's like Jesus himself reminding us, says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? It's like, that should encourage you. That encourages me that I'm a temple of the living God. Jeremy Simpkins says, we're glory carriers wherever we go. We carry God's glory wherever we go. That we're temples of God's Spirit. See, we can't live on yesterday's experience. We heat our home with a wood stove. My stove works best when I take the ashes out of the stove and throw them in the ash bin and when I turn the dampers right. The question is, spiritually speaking, Have I gotten rid of the ashes of yesterday's experience and am I laying myself wide open and saying, Father, whatever it takes, I want the dampers of my life open. I want the flame to burn brightly. Fan that flame. Holy Spirit, would you come and fan that flame in my life so I can do that. That's that's number one. You've, you've got to fan into flame by getting rid of yesterday's stuff and understanding you need to leave your life wide open for the Holy Spirit to have permission to come and do what He wants to do. Because, you see, we can resist, and we can resist, and we can resist. But God says, you know what? I'm going to keep dogging at you. I'm going to keep coming after you. He says, I don't come to judge you. I come because I love you. And He says, I love you so much, I'm not going to leave you where you're at, but I want to change you so that you reflect my glory wherever you go because it's not about you. And just at this moment, I just feel like God has given me this picture. There's one or maybe more people here that God says, you know what? I want you to, I want you, just like when you're coming up on the Westmoreland Bridge from the north side, um, there are some of you that haven't looked into the blind spot of your mirror. And there's blind spots in your life that you need to start, you need to look, you know how you look forward in the rearview mirror to see the blind spot? And I just feel like, like this is a free one, Um, I'm going to get back to the message in a second, but I just feel like God is showing me, just as I'm speaking, that there are some that need to, as you come up on the bridge, you need to kind of lean forward into the rearview mirror because there's some things coming at you through the blind spot that are going to cause problems if you're not careful. So we've got to lean forward and take a look into the blind spot. If that's you, just take that and, and apply it. Look into it. It's like, do I have blind spot areas? You know what? Truth is, we all do. But I just feel today that there's specifically, there are some blind spot areas that, like some blind spots aren't as serious as others if they let them go. I think this is a serious one. George Mueller, if you know where George Mueller, 1800s, UK, late 1800s, died in 1898. He's most known for his ministry to the poor, he himself personally, can't believe this, he impacted 10,000 orphans. So orphans just aren't in Zambia. I mean, this is the UK we're talking about in the late 1800s. 10,000 orphans, preached over 10,000 messages. And here's what he said about this aspect. He said, my chief duty in life is to ensure that my soul 
is happy in God. That's his whole, he's like, you know what? All those orphanages, that's great orphanages, that's great. I preached all that 10,000 times. I did all this stuff. He said, but the most important thing, the most important thing is to ensure that my soul is happy in God. Let's face it, the discouragements in life, the obstacles, the challenges, they can pour cold water on us. We can be disappointed. But remember this, that God is sovereign. He allows it to happen. But in His goodness, He's giving us the strength by His Spirit. If we fan into flame and ask Him to come and renew us, that in spite of those things, we will bear fruit. We're called to be in the vine. Jesus is the vine. We're a fruitful vine, folks. And the things that are coming our way as a church body, God is saying to us, folks, I've called you to bear fruit. I've called you to know that even in the midst of the obstacles and the things that you don't understand, that God is calling us to go over the wall, just as Jeremy taught us a year and a half ago. I just feel like we need to apprehend that. We need to understand that the challenges that we face as a body, God is calling us to bear fruit. He's calling us in mission. We're a little parochial sometimes. We're a little caught up in the past. We're a little safe. We want to be, you know what, it's true. In this part of the world, in in our part of Atlantic Canada, the church cloisters itself. It really does. And we don't have a missional spirit. We don't have a missional heart. But here's the point of the whole thing. God wants us to fan into flame His gift of His Spirit in our lives. Why? For mission. That's why. Yes, and we do have our personal stuff that we go through, and He helps us and so on. Yes, it's true. But the presence of the Spirit of God in us and in us as a church is best found and best expressed in mission. That's what the Holy Spirit's purpose is, is to propel us forward in mission. And that's here in Fredericton. It's with our friends, our neighbors, our families. It's here in Fredericton. It's all over this region. It's in the nation and to the nations. There's no this or that. It's all of it. So what are some of the practical things? And I'm going to end with this very quickly. See, because we have the revelation of the Spirit, and this morning I'm really, really trusting that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. I know He's speaking to me. So we have the revelation of the Spirit, but we also have to be pragmatic in the revelation that He gives us. So there are some things that we can do, and they're fun things to do, actually. But we need to take a look at our lives, and we need to make a point of actively seeking God and declaring our love for Him. We're in relationship with Jesus. It's about expressing our love for Him. Like, I love Barb, but how good would our relationship be if I never told her I loved her? I know all kinds of things about Barb. I know a lot about Barb. We've been married for close to 30 years. I know all kinds of stuff about her, but how good is that if I know all kinds of stuff about her, but I'm not expressing my love to her? There's life and vitality in that. And there's life and vitality in our relationship with Jesus. Hey, I'm not saying that we should know a lot about Jesus. We should know a lot about God. Yes, we should. It's a both and. Because if I express my love to Barb, but I don't act on the things I know about Barb, how am I going to serve her? So should I be approved in the things of the Word? Should I understand theological truth? Absolutely but my theology must breathe. So, express your love to Jesus. If you feel, you know what, there's no shame in this, but if you find that your heart towards Jesus is cold, well, the best way to to jumpstart that is to just, when you're in the car, when you're alone, just start telling him you love him. Just start expressing your love to Him. Take the Scriptures and pray the Scriptures about loving God and put yourself in those Scriptures and pray those things. He's poured out His love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, it says in Romans. If He's poured out His love in our hearts by the Spirit, His love is there. We respond to that love. Our feelings will catch up with the facts of our, our sonship. Trust me on that. It's true. Your feelings will catch up with you. 
Do you always run with a high rate of feeling in your love towards Jesus? No. But the same is true of my relationship with Barb. I'm not always gushing with emotional, you know, it's like, be lovely if it was. But, but we're not surprised by that. We know that, you know what? We know that we love each other. We are committed to one another. We're covenanted to one another. Same with Jesus. Our desires begin to change when we do that. The desires of your life will begin to change. There are desires that some of you have right now that as you fall more in love with Jesus, the desires you have, the priorities you exercise are going to change. You're going to find yourself becoming more disinterested in things that now have your attention. And that's true. It's not about following a bunch of rules because if that's the way it is, forget it. It isn't going to work. It's going to drive you into legalism and trying to apprehend God's presence by doing good things. But the more we fall in love with somebody, the more we want to please them, you see? Because we don't have to love Jesus and do the things we get to. <laughs> Folks, it's true. We get to do these things. We get to express our love to Jesus. We get to share the truth of the reality of his presence in our life with others. We get to do that. It shouldn't be a burden. If, it, if it's a burden, you've got to restart you got to get back to the first love. You say, you know what, Jesus, I love you. Our affections will change. Our affections will change. The things we're affected with will change. I didn't grow up with the hymns. Joe knows all the hymns, knows all the numbers in the hymn book. I mean, seriously, <laughs> the boy's got a problem. But, I mean, he can, hymn number 12. Anyway, <laughs> I really don't know very many hymns, but I know this part of one, and part of the lines in this, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I know that one, and I know its words to be true. Folks, we know each other. You know my life's not perfect. You know the challenges that we face personally as a family. You know. And to be honest, there's been some dark days. There's been some tough times, and I flag from time to time. But Jesus, he always draws me back to him. My default in the tough times is to, is to, is to do other things. It's... It's, I find myself, oh, well, maybe if I, if, if I read more theology, I'm going to be okay. And, I find, and then and all of a sudden, it's like God breaks in and says, no, I want you. I want your attention. I want your love to be put towards me. I want you to express that to me. And yeah, you know what? Your, your study and everything is important, but I want your heart. I want you. He wants our hearts. He wants your heart. That's what he wants. Make worship a priority as a result. You see, like, I love worshiping God. You know that. It's the first weapon. It's the weapon of choice, folks. You who have gone through difficulties, you know when you worship, things change. Do the circumstances change necessarily? Probably not. Would that they would. Sometimes they do. But most of the time they don't. But remember, the wall, I'm going over the wall. I'm worshiping anyway. As difficult as times get, Jesus, I'm worshiping you. And I get in the car, and I sound terrible, but I don't really care. Jesus loves it. He's crazy about me. He's crazy about you. Find what works for you, too. Like, recently, I just, you know what? I'm, I'm taking a page out of, out of someone else's book. I'm, I got myself one of those Bible apps, and I'm, I, I'm just being honest with you. I need to be more disciplined in the Word. I'm in the Word, but I need to be really disciplined in the Word. So I, I got one of these Bible apps, and I'm doing like, read the Bible in a year. How boring is that? It's really great. It's really great. So oh, that sounds boring. That never worked for me. Well, you got to stick with it. So like anything you do after 30 days over and over again becomes a habit. Works. Find what works for you. We're easily distracted, right? Look at the squirrel. We're easily, seriously. 
be continually filled with the Spirit. Ask Him every day to fill you with the Spirit. No, like, seriously? We can do that? Absolutely. Well, I was filled with the Spirit in 1984. Well, what about right now? So just to show you, Lord Jesus, would you fill me with your Spirit right now? Thank you. Guess what? It doesn't get any more simple than that, folks. I can understand that. Like, I'm not making light of it. I'm telling you, we have access to the wellspring of life. If we have access to the wellspring of life, we're foolish not to drink from it. We're foolish not to call upon Him to fill us from the inside out. Jesus said rivers of living water will... That's why we always say, you know what, we need to be filled with the Spirit. It's like, if it sounds like a broken record, it is... It doesn't matter. I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to shout it from the rooftops. That's what makes the difference. We must be filled continually with the Spirit. It's a continuous action. We keep doing it. In fact, John Piper points out in this scripture that fanning in the flame is a continuous action too. It's not something we just do once or twice. We do it all the time. And here's the thing. In all of that, I mean, I could go on. There's other things. Be with believers. Who are you with? Who are you hanging with? Who's, who's really sharpening you? Do you have friends that you can rub shoulders with that are going to challenge you? Do you have friends that are going to bear your burdens with you? You can cry with them, and you can laugh with them, and you can, you can be honest with them, and as painful as it is sometimes, can you do that? That's practical stuff. That's the practicalities of the result of having the Spirit of God revealing truth to you, is that you can be with believers, and you can do that. Right, Betty? I know that's true with Betty. And the thing is, the whole point of all this, seriously, Joe touched on it earlier. I'm going to end with this. It's all for mission. Folks, it's about mission. It is. But what's your role in mission? So I just don't know what to do. Get on, get on line with the things that we as Christ Central Fredericton are doing. We're starting Alpha on September 22nd after the Brian Houston. We're not just doing Brian Houston, you know, just because Brian Houston's a good musician, and he is. He's great. We're doing Brian Houston, having him here, because we're hoping that others are going to come. We're going to invite our friends, and then we can use that as a vehicle to jump into Alpha the following week. Well, that sounds a little strategic. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> hey, if I can lead a small group at Alpha, anybody can, seriously. You don't need to be a theologian to do that. You can be a group facilitator. So when someone says, you know what? In the small group, they say, you know what? Jesus, yeah, well, we talked about who was Jesus tonight. And I just always thought Jesus was an alien. And, and I had this theory, and it was planets and space and time and warp, time warp, fourth dimension. And you're sitting there as a group facilitator. I've never considered that. <laughs> and then the master stroke of the facilitator, Joel, what do you think? I can do that. Can you do that? All you need to do is love the people you're with. Because I used to, I used to, actually, I used to hate the things that God stood for. I used to hate them. I used to hate them. There's lots of ripe fruit like me, hanging on trees, just waiting to be pulled off and brought into the kingdom of God. Isn't that right, Tom? <laughs> whole point's mission. The Holy Spirit and His gifts are intended for mission. They're not intended just for us to wallow in them. You know, we had a really great conversation recently with two friends, and we were talking all about, you know, 20 years ago, and, and what happened during the outpouring of the Spirit in Canada, and whatever you think about that doesn't really matter, but the bottom line is, is why is it so many people kind of just drifted off, and now you don't know where they are, and everything? And I'm convinced that a lot of it has to do with the fact that we didn't have a, a solid enough grounding in the Word to understand the purpose of the outpouring of the Spirit is so that we can go forward and do stuff in, in the Spirit's power. And, and those of us, I thank God, seriously, I do, those of us who have come to understand that, 
Yeah, we've been through challenges, been through struggles and everything, but we're still going. Right, Kelly? Jesus loves the church, loves you, loves me. Hey, there are lots of changes coming, good things. But we always have to remember God is sovereign, God is good, and he wants us to fan into flame the gift that we have to know our identity in him. I want to ask you a favor. Would you allow me to pray for you? I have nothing special. But I'd love to pray for us today to fan into flame, to find, find a way that works for us in, some, in accordance with some of the things that I've said this morning, to fan into flame. I'd love to just lead us in a prayer. And if you want to join in that prayer, you're certainly welcome. I, gold and silver, I don't even have anything, right? But I have faith enough to say, take up your mat and walk. You can do it. You can't do it in your own strength, but you can do it because of the strength that he gives us. We don't need the band. I want the band to actually, if you want to take part, I want you to take part in this. I want, I want, you, I want us to stand together as a body together, and I want to, I'm going to ask for us to be filled with the Spirit, and I'm going to ask us, ask the Holy Spirit to fan into flame. And if that's you this morning, and you want to do that which Paul has, is directing Timothy to do. This is an opportunity for you. There's an open window here for you to receive today. And I'm going to turn it over to Joe in a moment. I just want to pray this prayer. And Joe or Joel is going to come in. They're having a little huddle trying to figure out what we're doing next. Because, oh, Gary's off doing something now. It's like, if you're comfortable with it, you know, putting our hands up towards heaven is just that symbolic act to say, you know what? I want, Lord, I want everything you have for me. And Lord Jesus, this morning, you said you wouldn't leave us as orphans. We're taking you at your word. You said you would send your spirit. So once again, Lord Jesus, we're asking you to send your spirit. Would you fill us with your spirit once again from the inside out, Lord Jesus, that we be filled once again with passion, with deep love for you, with a sense of purpose. God, would you come and stir up, stir up the gift that you've given us in your spirit. Would you stir up gifts within us? Would you give us what we are asking for today, God? Would you make us white hot? Father, would you help us to, to take away yesterday's ashes? And Lord, would you help us to open up the dampers and allow the wind of the spirit to come to fan into flame your presence in our lives. Holy Spirit, we need you more than we need life. We need you more than we need the breath that we breathe. We need you more than the food we eat. We need you more than the programs that we do. We need you. We need you. This is about you, Jesus. But Lord Jesus, would you fill us with passion, a new passion for mission? I feel like this morning, I want to prophesy to this church that the Lord is depositing in us a missional spirit that is going to displace and replace that which has been there before. In fact, I see old ways of thinking as old ashes, and God is taking them out of the firebox, and he's saying, you know what? I'm putting the passion for mission. I want it to burn strong, because that's the purpose of my spirit. If for this church, I want you to be a fruit-bearing church. I want you to face the wall and go over the wall. I want you to be a well-watered vine. I want you in me. I want you to be with me. I want to work with you. I love you. I care for you. I am taking you to a new place in me. It's going to look different than it did before. That's okay. Don't be afraid. I am with you. I am with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So our time is gone, but I just want to do two things before we go. I just want to pray for us as a church, and then uh, I want to give the opportunity for you to come up and get prayer today. I don't know if, uh, if you're like me, but I feel like that's really resonating with me just affirming who we are in Jesus. And so God, this is from uh, Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God, we want you to fill us with joy and peace. God, in believing you, God, that through your Holy Spirit, we could abound in hope. And God, it's, it's you who affirms our identity, God. It's not just self-talk. It's not just telling ourselves that this is, this is something, God. It's you actually living and breathing in us, God. It's you regenerating our hearts by the power of your Spirit that affirms our identity in you, that we're adopted, God, that we have all the rights and privileges of firstborn sons in your family. God, we thank you for that gift and it's grace. God, we didn't do anything to deserve it, but God, you poured it out on us. And we want to receive it now, God. We just, we thank you for it, God. It's, it's like a deposit in our bank account. We want to draw on that. And so, God, would you fill us up? Amen. So, just wanted to remind you, today is Ryan and Ashley Calhoun's last Sunday. They're off to London, Ontario. So, they've got a jet for lunch. But, please keep them in your prayers as they go. And if you see them, give them a quick goodbye.